The scripture reading is taken from Revelation 22. Let's read that together. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and prophets and with those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, <clears throat> the first and the last. <clears throat> The beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right of the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely 
I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The sermon which I'll read to you today is from, the, from Reverend K. Class Yonker, Emeritus Minister of our sister churches in Canada. And he's chosen as text for today's sermon, the, verses, the verse 17a, no, 7a. And behold, I am coming soon. In response to the sermon, we'll sing from hymn 67 to verses 1, 6 and 7. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the author of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, describes his book as the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself gave this revelation to the Apostle to show what must soon take place, namely, Christ's glorious second coming, that is, his return on the clouds. This Bible book informs its readers that the final showdown between God and Satan is imminent. This message is given as an incentive for Christians to encourage one another. This becomes clear to us when we consider when Revelation was written. It was a very difficult time under the Romans. The church members were forced to support the emperor worship. He the Roman emperor was acclaimed to be the saviour of the world. The Christians, however, worshipped another lord. Instead of Caesar, they confessed Jesus Christ as their saviour. Their confession and witness caused them to experience increasing hostility from the enemies. Some were burnt to death. Others had been thrown before the wild beasts. Imagine, congregation... In such a time of great enmity against the church of the Lord, the Apostle John comes to his people telling them that the persecutions will increase rather than decrease. But in those circumstances they are encouraged to hold on to their confession. Do not throw in the towel. Preserve in your spiritual wrestle and endure the painful blows of your opponent, even if it would cost your life. Do not abandon your first love. Is that a sort of hysterical leader? Speaking here who in all his fantasism drives his followers on to follow him, even if the end is death? Do Christians belong to a kind of self-murdering commando, acting out of blind obedience to orders? No. The Lord himself is speaking in Revelation. Time and again it is stated in the beginning of the book, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the messages indicate that the faithful ones are sealed against 
any spiritual harm and will soon be vindicated when the Lord returns. Then they will live with Christ in eternal blessedness. The world may look down on the church. Her enemy may scorn and scold her. They may try to get rid of her. Yet our Lord, the Saviour of heaven and earth, cherishes her. He loves her and will take her to himself. She is his bride. So the church is not a self-murdering commando headed, heading towards death, but she is a beautiful bride heading towards a happy and glorious life. <clears throat> On the Lord's word, she expects that life. Christ's work motivates her to a strong hope and through his work she gets prepared for the great day of her full union with her bridegroom. I administer you God's word as follows. Living by the Spirit, the bride of Christ prays for Christ's coming. We'll see, firstly, the expectation of this prayer. Second, the motivation of this prayer. And third, the sanctification with this prayer. The figure of bride for the church is used more often in Scripture. In the Gospels we read that our Lord spoke of himself as the bridegroom. He did so in the parables, for example, in Matthew 25 on the ten virgins. Five of them had prepared themselves well and went in with the bridegroom to the feast. In the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus also pointed to himself as the one, namely the bridegroom, who will have the bride. In the book of Revelation, we come across this imagery in chapters 19, 21 and our text chapter. In chapter 21, one of the angels say, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And John sees then the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, adorned with the most beautiful jewels. Our text reads, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Here again the church is characterised as the bride. The, the gospel God's word shows very clear that Jesus Christ came to earth to obtain her. He totally gave himself up for her and he acquired her. Therefore, her future is certain. It is now without any doubt that she will get her bridegroom. The only thing she must wait for is his coming and the wedding feast will take place. Brothers and sisters, with that waiting, with the expectation of the coming bridegroom, the Bible ends. God's word stops revealing his secrets when it has made clear and underlined that the church must know she is to be the bride of the Son of God. A great and glorious life is ahead of her, living always with her Lord. However, it's still has to happen. The great day has yet to come. That's why the Bible ends with the eager expectation of the bride and with the sure promise of the bridegroom. The bride says, come. And the bridegroom says, surely I'm coming soon. Don't despair. I'm on my way. 
Congregation, what is more natural for a bride than that she longs for her day? If she does not have that great desire, then something's terribly wrong with the bride. Then the question could be asked whether the bride is sincere, whether she is faithful, whether she really loves her bridegroom. Certainly, such questions should never be assumed in the case of the church. How could she ever be apathetic in her expectations? Just consider what great things her bridegroom did. He did everything for his bride. He even gave his precious blood for her. Now, he continually speaks to her by his word. I am busy to prepare a place for you in my father's house. So, the bride, the church, is assured that the Lord, her Lord is instructing his servants to make all the necessary arrangements for the wedding. From this it becomes evident that the church has not reached her final position yet. She surely and truly belongs to the Lord. Yet, she is still on the way to completely becoming flesh of Christ's flesh and bone of his bone with the promise that Christ will take her into everlasting life. The church is, so to speak, the engaged bride of Christ. The word of the Lord comforts her in her waiting. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose your patience. Keep your expectations high. You won't remain the engaged bride forever. The marriage feast will come. The expectation of that feast makes the church pray, Oh, Come, Lord Jesus, fulfill your promise. Beloved, doesn't that longing belong to the first love of the church? Yes. She wants to live with the Lord in a completely perfect relationship, in full dedication to her master. Is that expectation still an essential part of the life of Christ's bride? Is the life of the church of today still dominated by his ardent is the life of the church of today still dominated by the ardent longing for the fulfillment of Christ's promise? Is it necessary to ask those quest these questions? Imagine who will dare to ask a bride, hey, tell me what is occupying you? What keeps you busy? That's, of course, her marriage. She's busy with her future life. It's the same with the church. Today, again, we've come together in view of our future life with the Lord. By the gospel, we are encouraged not to lose hope. Don't despair. And we are comforted by the same gospel by which Christ assures, I am on my way. What is said of the church as a whole is also true for each member personally. As members of the church, we confess, I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Saviour. That truth is a great thing to us. Yet we know our life is not completed. It still needs fulfilment on the day of Christ. Therefore we pray, come Lord Jesus, and take note, please, the bride is not just praying for by herself. She receives support from no other than from God himself. The Holy Spirit too prays, Come, Lord Jesus. 
The Spirit does not want anything else than the full union of the bridegroom and bride. He joins them together. He welds them together layer by layer so that the connection becomes stronger and stronger. As a matter of truth, through the divine power we pray. Yes, we are enabled to pray. And so we pray ourselves for the coming of the Lord. That ardent prayer is a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit keeps our expectations high. He makes us experience new life in Christ. He assures us of our glorious future with him. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come with haste. What makes the bride, what moves the bride to this prayer? What can be said about the motivation? We've come to our second point, the motivation of this prayer. Praying, come Lord Jesus. The bride is actually longing for her present life in this world to come to an end. With this in mind, you can ask, does that prayer not cause a withdrawal from this present world? If we implicitly ask for the end of the world, this world, then are we shunning our present responsibilities for our fellow men? Indeed, with that prayer for Christ's coming, aren't we giving up our life here and now? As far as these questions are concerned, it matters how you view the future. If that future is our concern, if it is our task so that we must work the things out, building up our own future, yes, let us then straight away stop praying. But if it is Christ alone who prepares our future place, then that prayer certainly is a legitimate matter. And beloved, isn't it so that we confess this to be the reality? Man does not build the new world. He does not establish the new paradise today. We are totally dependent on God in Christ. We expect everything from Christ. It is God who recreates the world. At Jesus' coming, everything will be made new. The reali that reality of complete happiness and perfection, of restoration and of purification, goes beyond our strength and thinking. Yet, we know that it is not just a nice dream or a hopeless illusion. For that reality of our glorious future life is promised to us by our bridegroom. I make all things new, he says. In all humbleness, the church acknowledges that it will be completely the work of her bridegroom. Not people, but the Lord's doing. The church does, not, does have a great hope for the future. The Lord is busy with all the preparation. And yet, beloved, the amazing thing is that the Lord makes use of his people. They may participate in that great renewal work. In faith, they are co-workers of the Lord, his servants. Therefore, the church confesses that her life and her labour are not in vain in the Lord. On the contrary, the faithful work of God's children will receive great reward. As the Lord is working in, the wor in this world, so are his children. 
It concerns the busyness of the kingdom of heaven, the honour and propagation of God's reign. That glory will be completely established on the day of Christ. So, this prayer for the coming of Christ totally strikes out the optimistic ideals and hopes of modern man for this world. It also crosses out our work as if establishing the life of rest and peace would depend on our attempts and our achievements. The church is not moved by her plans and ideas. Christ's redemptive work of the past is a solid foundation for the renewal work of the future. Faith is the motivation. In faith we pray and prepare ourselves for the great day of our bridegroom. That's how we show ourselves to be the bride of Christ. This prayer certainly does not make us inactive. How can that ever be said of a bride? She's actively busy for the great day to come. In her present life, she is fully concentrating on her new life of the future. A lot of things need attention. Many things have to be prepared and changed. Who she belongs to motivates her faithfulness. With works of faith and love, the church is therefore adorned. She prays, yes, but she also works. Pray and work, only in this sequence. It's not work and pray, no. Pray and work. The bride of Christ is neither lazy nor easygoing. She hopes in Christ's coming and therefore she is active in her love and faith. Brothers and sisters, in this connection, I think of actively taking part in church life, building each other up in faith and supporting each other in the works of faith, living for others, each other's well-being and for the people around us. Our purpose in life is in agreement with the purpose of the Lord, that is, the gathering of the church to the praise of the Lord. We are obedient to his commandments. That's why we too should be the best citizens the nation has. No, as a bride of Christ, we do not withdraw from public life. We pray for those in authority. We obey the higher powers. We pay to Caesar that which is rightfully his. We display the joy of the Lord in an exemplary manner of life, despite adverse circumstances. Not with a heroic attitude, but in a witnessing attitude. We show ourselves in faith to be the bride of Christ, heralding his glory. The glory of gathering the church as in our working, as in our working for the coming of our Lord should pre permeate all our activities and work in social and public life. How must we do that? We've come to our third consideration, the sanctification with the prayer for the coming of the Lord. We've seen that we must pray and work for the coming of the Lord, but how is that possible by sinful people? What is the first thing we must do? I refer to you to the work mentioned in verse 14, the washing of our robes. Every one of us here wears a robe. 
We are still in the process of making that robe by every thought, word and deed. How filthy and dirty that robe is through our falsehood and hypocrisy. It is splashed all over with our weakness, weaknesses and shortcomings. And in the entire world there is not a washing machine that can clean it. And you cannot find any detergent on the shelves of your supermarket which will make those spots on your robe totally disappear. Do you understand? The robes stand for our evil characters, our depraved nature. We cannot free ourselves from the evil impulses of our flesh and from the evil intent of our covetousness. God, however, has provided the means to blot everything out. It is he who says, blessed are those who wash their robes. That is, blessed are those who take hold of the detergent of Christ's blood. That means is not for sale. It's freely available and administered in the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bride of Christ knows how to wash her robe. She does not go to others. She obtains everything from her bridegroom. The means of her purification and restoration is his blood. Well, that is what happens to you at this very moment. Your robes are washed. You've come to the church of which you confess by the grace of the Spirit that it is the true church, the Catholic church, which steadfastly keeps to the doctrine which is taught by our Lord and his apostles. The preaching of Jesus Christ, his blood removes all our sins. That blood is not only cleaning us, it also renews us, it restores us, it separates us. It separates us from the dogs and sorcerers, fornicators and murderers, idolaters and from everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It gives the right to come to the tree of life. It makes us enter the city, the new Jerusalem, by the gate. So, brothers and sisters, the prayer for the coming of Christ, our daily prayer, your kingdom come, that prayer is accompanied by a holy life, by a life in accordance with that gospel. It's a life which is keeping with the words of this book, verse 9. It's a life of the antithesis as we read in verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. At this stage it's important to remember what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3 verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Beloved, Scripture shows us indeed that the prayer for Christ's glorious return gives us a lot to do. Think also of what John says in 1 John 3, verse 3, where he writes about the hope of Christ's appearance. He says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
Let us therefore know this from Christ's teaching of the gospel. The life of the church in the light of Christ's coming is described foremost in terms of sanctification. The bride, the church, lives in faithful, obedient and godly life. Such a life must characterise us. Not that we are busy in all kinds of activism, trying to change the world into a better one, for we won't succeed, but to live in this world as Noah. He received the task from God to preach and warn the evil people of his time with a life of work and obedience to God's commandments. Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 to 33, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And what did Paul do? He showed the love of Christ. His evangelist evangelistic life was successful through him by god's grace the grace of the holy spirit many turned to the lord the church was gathered did you know this congregation that the prayer your kingdom come that the prayer come lord jesus gives us so much to do it's certainly true as we see it today from scripture For that prayer, if it is a sincere prayer, is accompanied by a godly life in which love to Christ is clearly shown. The bride of Christ does not have earthly desires and expectations, yet she has great hopes for this earth. It will not be completely destroyed, but perfectly renewed. God will dwell with men and they shall be his people. We do not live in atmosphere of doom and despair. By the gospel, we are assured that God will fulfil all his promises. To him, all glory and praise. All evil will go. The bride will see the day of Christ. She is is heading toward a happy and glorious life. Keep your expectations high. Be motivated by true faith and live a godly life. Continue to pray. Come, Lord Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen.